0: And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Head Podcast. Two Steps Head Podcast, highlighting the stuff that's been stepped in so you don't have to. I'm Son Edom. and if you're watching on TV or on video, you might see a little different screen than what you're accustomed to. That's because I'm trying to do something different, something unique, provide content and entertainment that keeps you, the viewer, watching, listening. If you're just listening via the podcast platforms, it's probably nothing different. Same show. Uh, we've done shows, many different types of shows. We've been out at the Hollywood sign, which was pretty exciting. We were down at the Santa Monica Pier doing our show as well. And then just on the beach, the beach of Long Beach, sitting there being attacked by uh, wind surfers with their big, I guess, kites that they have out there, which is actually pretty cool to go watch and, and see them surf out there, the windsurfing that goes on. Seagulls, I think we have a National Geographic show, When Seagulls Attack Podcasters. We've done uh, many shows outside. And so, again, just trying to do something new, be creative, bring guests on the show. And I've got uh, Emily Hibbard with us. And Emily, first off, uh, thanks for being with us here on the show. We appreciate your time. And I know you've got a busy schedule. And as we jump into it, what I wanted to, there's many different things that you're a part of. Um, there's your five, uh, 501c3s with a nonprofit world, I guess, to the rest of us. You've been heavy involved in that. You also have a recording studio slash podcast studio. You have political aspirations as well. And then you've also been involved in the commercial sex industry as far as helping people get out of that and and overcome that, I guess, which I can't imagine be easy. And it takes probably someone with a lot of courage and a lot of strength, personal strength, to even be involved in that, trying to help people get out. And so those are some of the things that I thought, you know, we can maybe kind of touch on today. Just get, let people get an idea of who you are, what you're about. And you really have a wealth of information because you've accomplished so much so far in life that I think a lot of people can benefit from it. So uh, first off, thanks for uh, joining us here on the show for this episode.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Now, one of the things that uh, you have is a podcast studio. Uh, Idle Tuesday's uh, recording slash podcast studio. And it's interesting because the way we met is actually probably more common in Hollywood. But maybe if someone was to ask and we told the story, it might be a little unique for some people. So we actually met, I was producing a show and you were a uh, PR rep for someone that I wanted to get on the show. And so we had our initial meeting kind of that way. And then a period of time went by and the Hoving Home, which is a woman's home here in Pasadena, California, they had a a choir basically that came and performed at a church I was at and I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed the music. And I was thinking, I'm going to go listen to more. And as I searched, there wasn't really anything out there to hear more of this choir. And so I thought and came up with an idea that maybe there's a way that we can maybe produce an album. And so I was just thinking through the logistics of it. You came to mind with your recording studio and then we connected that way the project worked out. Hopefully a lot of people have been blessed by the album. And so that's kind of how we met, kind of through kind of a business way. But it's, but it's been something that's been kind of cool, because it's not the typical way that you might meet somebody, um, you know, at like a cocktail party or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so it's kind of unique. But with your recording studio, you're involved in music, you're involved in the Grammys, you're kind of an insider, you've got some insight. We just had the Grammys recently, and Meg the Stallion and Cardi B, you know, um, I guess they were big winners, Billie Eilish. The music of today compared to the best that we've had in the past. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Gosh. Well, first of all, I love music's ability to affect us and impact us even without our permission. We've all heard a song that strikes a certain chord with us that we can play over and over and over again or all day or all week. And I love music's ability to do that. So I love the music world. So I'm coming at this already. I'm a lover of music. I'm a lover of creativity. Um, one of the things that I think that we're really missing an opportunity uh, an opportunity on right now is there's a we're being told what to like. We're being told what's cool. We're being told what we should want. But I don't hear a lot of people asking or realizing or paying attention to some simple numbers. For example, why is viewership so low? Now, in the past, right? we all, we, we all we would watch it on TV, we would stream it, we, we would be at our TVs, we would be watching these shows. And over the years, and in more recent times, viewership has absolutely tanked. And there's a question that needs to be asked that's not being asked, is why? And so that, I think there's a lot in that, um, and I think the answer to that will, will be revealing.
0: So I think part of it has to do with the fact that at one time, people actually thought about the consumer. You know, They actually had in mind, okay, I'm going to put something out there, whether it be a movie, a TV show, music, and I need people to buy this. I need people to come to the box office. I need people to go to the record store, flip through the various CDs or whatever, or stand in line for that release of the album. And so the consumer was kind of in mind. Nowadays, it seems like people can put anything out there through online and they don't really need to have that uh, old school record producer, old school record label backing you. And I think they start to kind of put themselves first, which is fine, no big deal. But I think they take the consumer out of it and they just put whatever they want, not realizing that on the other end, the consumers might not be interested in exactly what it is they're putting out there.
1: Exactly, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head there where we're not talking about choice. We're being told what we should like. We're being told what we should listen to, what we should stream, what we should buy on iTunes. I love that independent artists can create, produce, and distribute their music on various streaming platforms. And by default, it's international. You're in every country and every market around the world, an independent artist. And originally, I mean, decades ago, years ago, that would have never been possible. And so on one hand, I love that an independent artist or a small record label has the ability to get their music out there. But on the other hand, who's really asking who wants to listen to this? Who's given the choice? What do you want to listen to? And I don't think that's really happening.
0: Yeah, I think the formula basically goes like this. From the top, make it drop, win a Grammy, sit on top, and you're set to go for the rest of, the, of your life. You don't have to worry about anything. And then also, there seems to be that whole idea of, you know, I'm just going to, this was my formula. Here's, here's the formula of music that I've heard because a lot of times nowadays I'll listen to like my favorites. I've gotten away from listening to new music just because it's not my cup of tea. Not all of it. But it's you throw your name in there a few times. You have like a recurring lyric of a verse or two. You throw in some beats and you've got a hit. There's not much to it. And for me, you know, I like rock music. You know, I've had some roots on the Sunset Strip and a lot of the, the songs that people write, at least back then, you know, it was experiences, it was life experience, it was the things they dealt with, it was, you know, their raw passion that they would put in. And in some cases, you know, it had to deal with life and death, it had to do with relationships, it had to do with all these different things. And now it doesn't seem like that talent is really there, at least people aren't really trying to put it out there from that raw emotional experience. It's just talk about maybe topics and things. I don't know. I just like music that goes deeper and that has character and is representative of the artist and what they've gone through. And I just don't think that I think people are going for more of the salaciousness of it than the actual artistic artist of it.
1: Yeah. I I think of when I have my parents over or my parents and their friends, and I know if I want to get them going, if I'm having a barbecue on a Sunday afternoon, I'm going to put on classic rock. I'm going to put on music from the sixties and seventies and boom, they're all going to be singing. They're going to have a good time. And I know this, there's something that, that music that particular music that genre that decade that brings all of those people together If I want to play uh, if I'm gonna be playing <laughs> Playing music with with friends of mine, and I want to play music that you know We listened to when I was growing up. I was born in the 80s So we listened to a lot of 90s, so I'm gonna put on Boys to Men I'm gonna put on Mariah Carey I'm gonna put on Whitney Michael Jackson and by default We are all gonna know that song and we're all gonna be we're gonna come together We're gonna be unified because we all know that music That's something that I'm not seeing so much in right now when I, you know, I'll have the just younger generations over and there's a real disconnect there when music can be so unifying. I know classic rock. I know rock and roll. I was raised on that because my parents were hippies and that's all they listened to. And so there's something unifying with that. And I think that we're dropping the ball on today's music where I don't think it's unifying.
0: Basically, like me, you were raised on the radio, not on iTunes. What? Um, so is there any, any, anything that you can tell us about, you know, what your voting criteria is when it comes to music and, and maybe any type of insider info about the Grammys that you can share when it comes to voting and stuff? Or is that all secretive and, like, secret ballot? Because I think the Oscars just came out with something where it's not so secretive anymore. Is there anything that you can share about maybe you about if you have a vote, what's your voting criteria, people you might know, what they look for mm-hmm. into what makes an award-winning piece of music?
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think the Recording Academy. So I'm a member of the Recording Academy's Los Angeles chapter. And part of that is, well, before COVID, uh, we would have local events. So I would show up at these local events, and I would meet other Recording Academy members. Uh, Some are voting, some are not voting. I think it's something like 70 or 80% of the recording engineers or the engineers that produce commercial music, everyone's working from home. Before COVID, you know, they've got one house in there. They've got one room that they use as an officer or a studio in their house, and that's where it's happening. So when these recording events come up, people wanna get out of that office for at least a half a day and interact with the people that they're working with. And so I've been able to meet a ton of different artists, producers, musicians, you name it, at these events. And that's really the heart of the recording industry, of the music industry, is these events when, when there's really no cameras, it seems like nobody's looking, this is it. These are the people who are in the music industry day in, day out when there's no cameras going. There's no red carpets. There's no lights. And the relationships that I've built with people, uh, I keep in touch with them. When they put something out, I'm, I'm one of the first people to know about it because I already have a relationship with that. So much of the, the Recording Academy works like that um, versus you know, producers versus consumers. When, when someone's announced uh, that you know, they're, they're, they've been nominated for a Grammy, well, that's that's not exactly inside information we've you know we've known that for quite some time um, or at least know the direction of that because we're having conversations with their producers or whoever so that we kind of know this is the direction um, as far as criteria on the kind of music that jumps out to me i would say that i'm somewhat in the same area as you it it i like music that has depth i like music that Without thinking, without being logical, without analyzing something, it grabs me. This could be music in English. This could be music in Spanish. This could be instrumental music. Whatever genre of music it is, a a really good song bypasses, bypasses all logic, bypasses all reason, and grabs you. And that's the kind of music that I love the most.
0: Yeah, I listen to some Spanish music, and I don't know what's, what the lyrics, like the translation, and I don't want to because sometimes that lost in translation kicks in, and then what I'm thinking and feeling and the experience is different. So I can understand that. You can, you can feel the music, you can feel the songs, and you can have your own experience with it without actually having to know the lyrics. In fact, how many English songs do you sit there and you sing along to, and then you find out, oh, those are the real lyrics? Right. I made it my own, and I like right. mine better, you know? so. Um, you mentioned COVID and lockdown, and now the world's starting to open up again. And so there's talk of people going to Disneyland, and I know in Anaheim it's a big deal. Maybe in Florida it might not be such a big deal, but um, travel is another thing that people are starting to look to. I know a lot of people are going to Vegas now because Vegas is opening up, and they want to get out and kind of get back to some normalcy. Um, someone asked me one time, where would I would like to go? And a couple things on the top of my list would be Costa Rica or maybe Fiji. Because my idea of travel is this. I know people want to get on a bus and they want to tour the ruins and they want to take the pictures and they want to see all the history and all the architecture and all that stuff. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not uh, opposed to that. But my idea of a vacation is go somewhere, tropical beach, sit on the beach, bring me a Mai Tai, and I'm good for the next three or four days. Maybe go see a couple things. I don't really care about the waterfalls that are way, da- way back in the, you know, <laughs> the forest or the whatever. I don't care. I just want to sit on the beach and enjoy some Mai ties listen to some music, and hang out. Um, and so that's Fiji, maybe Costa Rica, kind of on the, on the tops of my list once things are open and we can get out. You've been on all seven continents. Okay, yes, Antarctica included, from what I understand. Yes. yes. What was that experience like? Okay. What was that, what, first off, what was Antarctica like? I mean, why did you go there? I guess there's nothing there but penguins. I did not think there's polar bears, are there? And then ice.
1: No, well, well, I learned that. So I was really excited to go see all the polar bears in Antarctica. And as a kid who's born and raised in Southern California, I realized that there are zero polar bears in Antarctica. There's only penguins. And in the North Pole, there's polar bears. So I, I didn't exactly know about my poles much before I went there.
0: So you had to go to the North Pole just to see the polar bears, because you missed down the south. So what drew you to these extremes, North Pole, South Pole? I mean, there's no mm-hmm. sightseeing. There's, there's no tour bus you can get on and go see the ruins of the igloos and stuff of people before us. So what is it that uh, brought you to those extremes?
1: I think it's a mixture of a few different things. So my, my personality might be perceived as extreme. Um, also, going back to when I was a kid, I mean, how many hours do we spend in class learning about history or scientific, uh, you know, discoveries or or whatnot? We we hear all these stories in school growing up. Well, for me, sitting in those those plastic hard chairs, I'm listening to those stories and I, I'm imagining myself there. I'm imagining what does the ground feel like? Is it grass? Is it is it cement? Is it paved? Uh, what does the sky look like? What does it smell like? What's happening? What are they afraid of? What are they like? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? I mean, as a young kid, I could remember I could remember feeling like this in class and come to find out not a lot of other people think like this but um so growing up, learning about all these stories i w- I wanted to go there. It was never enough to to flip another page and read another story about something or anything um and so, as soon as I graduated high school. Uh, my goal in life Was to go to as many places as possible. I think somewhere when I was in college I had a bucket list that by the time I was old and 30 (laughs) I Would go to all seven continents and so that was my number one priority all throughout My 20s was I would work one to two jobs and I would save all of my money so while my friends are buying new cars or buying new whatever I was saving every cent, and I paid about a hundred dollars to get a U.S. passport. And when I had time, and when I could, and when I would range it, I would go, and I would just check out different parts of the world. I mean, and I—I w- I mean, I would go, I would go everywhere. I would, you know, I, ho- I heard about this bad dude named named Pol Pot, who he was a Cambodian dictator, communist, Marxist, socialist guy. And in the '70s, so just a few years before I was born, he killed all of his own people. Now, I don't know why, but that really stood out to me, right? Like, why would anybody kill anybody? Why would you kill your own people? What's going on? And so it was really important for me to go to that particular place, and you can. It's in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and there's this place called the Killing Fields, which is horrible. It's basically like a concentration camp field where you get there, and you don't want to talk. You don't want to be spoken to. You just want to walk around and feel absolutely... Disgusting because it feels evil, but it was so important to me to go there because evil exists and bad people do Bad things well on that trip. I accidentally discovered Human trafficking and sex trafficking now. I grew up in Southern California, and we never talked about that I never heard about that and out there in that culture. It is out in the open for $1 $2 $3 US I saw American men, you you wouldn't even believe what what happens over there, and so that really left an impression on me as a human. So when I got back to LA, I did one of those, you know, God, what can I do to make this world a better place because I will never forget those little boys and those little girls. And so that really, that stayed with me and then ultimately later really impacted um, my my work with women coming out of the commercial sex industry.
0: You know, That's how we met. I mentioned the guest earlier. It was someone who had been an adult performer and had escaped the business, gotten out of it, and it was her testimony, her story of recovery and coming out of that, and that's the, the, the topic that we talked about on the show when we first originally met. I mean, you know what it's like over there. I'm sure there's probably not a lot that can be done overseas in certain places because the government, officials, even family members probably turn their back on it. Maybe some family members need the, the income. You know, because there's poverty issues and stuff doesn't excuse it, but it's, it's a different world. Like you said, you've been there. Someone like me, I've never been there. I just hear these stories and I can just think, you know, what it must be like for these people engaged because there's probably no escape. You know, I mean, it probably takes something uh, almost miraculous to get them out. But when you brought it back here to the US and you start looking at people here, people getting involved in the sex business and then trying to get out, was there a difference? Was it easier? For people, were there more resources here in America than other countries for people to get out of that? Or is it universally difficult to get out of that?
1: I I would compare it to, uh, okay, so if an American goes to, to, let's just say Spain, it's a Spanish-speaking European country. Uh, Spain has a different culture than, let's say, California, Los Angeles. Um, Everywhere you go is a different culture. And the same thing with the commercial sex industry is there's different cultures. So the culture of I mean, it's sex trafficking um, in, in Southeast Asia is very different than Southern California, very different than Los Angeles, very different than Hollywood. The root of what's happening is very similar. But what, what happens here, I mean, in my own backyard is, I mean, I, my whole life I've seen girls come to Hollywood when they're 18 years old, they wanna get famous, they wanna be the famous actress, and they come up short and they end up doing things that they never thought they would do. I can't even tell you how many phone calls I've been on with moms or dads or grandparents or pastors saying, hey, you know, so-and-so went out to Hollywood. She went to act and, and she's not acting anymore, but, um, you know, she started, you know, she, she's doing this and that. Do you know her? Her name is this. I mean, and that, <laughs> that really, really grabs my heart. Like, what would it take? for you to get on the phone and just start calling people in LA saying, do you know my daughter? Do you know my niece? Do you know this girl? Because she's getting in, into this stuff. So, so Hollywood, LA does a really great job on putting lipstick and glitter on some of the, on, on what's, what's happening here. So it's, it's, uh, it's presented differently as it is in other places in Cambodia. There's no presentation. It's just dirty and disgusting. But here in here in L.A., it's a lot more glamorous. They may, they try to make it a, a lot more glamorous.
0: It seems too that there doesn't. You mentioned those people coming to Hollywood. It seems like Hollywood doesn't help them out because we've heard all these stories of producers and people, you know, assaulting or abusing women that have come here. And you look at the you know, porn industry. I think I read one time that one of the most search categories or genres or whatever it is, was teen. You know, so there's like an assault on young people, too, these young aspiring people. Uh, I know we've heard, you know, uh, Corey Feldman, his story, you know, of young actors in Hollywood. You know, so it seems like there's some sort of predatory thing, too, where people are also actively, I guess, you know, seeking this out because it seems to be rampant and hopefully one day, you know, mm-hmm. it gets stamped out. But I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, you hear the stories of these people coming out and, um, you know, Annie LoBear, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but we've heard her story. We've been interviewed her before and and you just hear these stories. Even, even you know, Chrissy, the one that you represent, you hear these stories of people and what they've gone through, you know, the abuse and, and the degradation and the the lack of value and worth. What is it that you've seen? Is there any universal thing That has brought them out, or makes them change their mind and want to come out, or is it like intervention? You have to go get them and pull Mm -hmm. them out. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. from From my experience, and my experience goes back. I'd say I've been doing this for about fifteen years, and it's looked differently along the way. I didn't, you know. Now, now I'm in talent management, and and I travel a lot with with Chrissy. And when I first started, it was a it was a ministry at church, and then it was a nonprofit, and all sorts of women coming out of the industry so it's 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 changed over time um, I would say one of the one of the biggest things that I have recognized in girls that you know that I've worked with women that I've worked with was was two things um, one sexual abuse at a young age uh, one time or multiple times it's usually throughout their childhood and two an absent father so sexual abuse at a young age and an absent father and an absent father. An absent father could be a dad who's at home who just is checked out and isn't paying attention and doesn't care and would rather do his own thing than pay attention to you know his his daughter or his son or his kids or his family um, or it can be a physically absent father uh, either either one of those when When I first started uh, working with women in this in this industry, um, we visited a lot of strip clubs, so we a lot of girls that ended up at my church in Hollywood. Had come out of uh, had come out of like strip clubs, and so they wanted to go back to the clubs that they had worked at because they knew the bouncers, they knew the security guards, they knew the managers, the owners, and all the girls that worked there. Like, hey, what about them? So we started going back there, and we'd take you know pink gift bags, and um, there there was no not a lot of conversation just here this is for you and you know people would ask are you mary kay are you what what are you doing like oh no here you just you know something and inside was i mean super small gifts lip gloss earrings um a small necklace just just a little something to say that we see you and we care um and so over time i noticed that just about everyone that we were working with had had those two things and we started calling it the recipe and not to say that every little girl who is sexually abused or who doesn't have a father ends up in the sex industry that's that's not what i 'm saying at all. What I am saying is that I have never met anyone who ended up in the sex industry without that and so those two things are key to to know uh, to know that this this population of women you have to know that going in so when I would go into these clubs or we would also do different conventions in you know here in Hollywood or in Vegas, the big conventions um, we're not rescuing we're we're not we're not trying to tear them away from something and for a lot of these women, it's a process it took them a lot of years to get where they are, and it usually takes them a lot of years to get out of that every time I meet someone who's currently either in the porn industry or stripping uh escorting uh, dominatrix whatever they're into when i talk to them when they're in it they love it they're empowered they finally feel like they got their power back um they they absolutely are pro what they're doing and i know it's a total sham because i've been around long enough where give that a few more years and then i have a conversation with them again and they say oh it's just a show i hated myself i was depressed i was on pills i was whatever it was to try to get through that. And so I've been around long enough to see them coming into it, they love it, and them coming out of it. And so I feel like that's really my role and that's where I'm most comfortable is when they're ready to leave, I'm there with with open arms.
0: Yeah, it seems like, you know, men have a big responsibility. You know, first off, there might be the reason why they enter. But then there's the consumer that goes out there and is visiting the clubs, you know, watching the videos and partaking, you know, consuming it and creating the demand that these women have to then fulfill. And it's the dollar, the bottom line, because, you know, the producer might come in or the talent scout might come in and be you know, talk wine and roses to the people, to the women to kind of seduce them in. And then the next thing you know, they're leading this harsh life. Um, you mentioned fathers, you know, one of the things that you were involved in was the honor project, a documentary on dads. And so um, when you were going through that, because you mentioned the kind of the absent father in this perspective, we you're talking about women that ultimately end up potentially in the uh, sex industry versus what you saw through dads that were actually around. What was that experience like?
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I'm one of those girls who have been surrounded by amazing, incredible, protecting men my entire life. My dad, my uncles, my neighbors, my cousins, you name it for whatever reason, I am a magnet for really great, amazing men and so a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk about toxic masculinity and how dads are bad, and you know they're portrayed they're portrayed as kind of bumbling fools on a lot of t v shows that we see right now. And my particular favorite way to complain is by taking action. And so I have a small production company. And so what I did is I produced a documentary called Honor Project Documentary. And we featured and highlighted 20 regular dads that are here in the L.A. area. And they, when I originally asked them to be a part of the documentary, they all gave me the same answer. They said no. I was like, why don't you want to be in my documentary? We're friends, what's wrong with you? Be in my documentary. And they discounted themselves because they thought they weren't special. They're just ordinary. All I do is go to work and hang out with their family. And in their mind, that wasn't worthy of a documentary. And that was exactly why I wanted them in the documentary because these are the guys that are showing up and they're doing the work. And when no one's looking and it seems like it doesn't matter, these guys are making a difference. And so that's exactly what we did, me and a small film crew. Um, during the summer, we follow around 20 guys at work with their families. Um, if they were involved in any community organizations, we just followed them around, asked them questions, asked the people around them questions, and really highlighted them as being dads. And I mean, the guys couldn't be more different. They all look different. They all have different skin colors. They all come from different backgrounds. They're they're I mean they really couldn't be more different. Some are some are younger guys, some are older guys, but they all had one thing in common. They were going to figure this thing, they were going to figure this dad thing out. Some of them grew up with the dad and that was a little bit easier on how that what that looks like and some of them didn't grow up with the dad and they were figuring it out one day at a time. And I love a father's heart. And man, there's so many things that are coming up against men and and dads you know men are are not just um gosh men are under attack I feel like masculinity is is under attack and as a woman who I absolutely adore my dad I wanted to I wanted to say no to that I really I wanted to express my appreciation and gratitude for men and dads and that's what I tried to do through the documentary
0: you know I recently had a conversation with a guy a young father Uh, I made my cousin, in fact, and he grew up in the inner city Compton, so his father wasn't around. And so he has a young, I think, nine month old now, cute kid. Um, And we were talking about family, and he works in a career profession that takes him away. Uh, He spent many, many months away working. And it's a, it's a good career, but it's, it's a blue-collar job, so he has to go where the projects are, where the jobs are. So it's not like he's working out of an office. He's in the field in infrastructure. And so in talking with him, you know, balancing the home life versus being gone and so forth, he mentioned, he said this, his quote was, you know, it was an honor for him to be a dad because his dad was absent, and so he'll do whatever it takes to make sure that his kid, one, grows up with a loving unit, you know, parent unit, with a father, and then being provided for. And, um, and you take a look at, you know, you mentioned the other thing, too, about, you know, dad just being home, and they don't think that's the glamour thing. You know, one of the, I'm not really, I love, I love social media, but I, I don't take it with any since you know, any sincerity or any seriousness, you know, it's just kind of to me, just kind of something fun. You post some pictures, do some stuff. But I know a lot of people take it serious, but one of the things I know and I can pick up on is kind of some trends in society. And one of the things that I know is that a lot of single women will put out there on social media will be these memes, um, where they're just where there's a picture of maybe a guy and a girl, and they're just cuddled up on the couch and their comment and watching TV or whatever. And the comment is, This is all I want, you know, there's this thought out there that you need to you know take them to the clubs and wine and dine them and, and you know show them the world and do all this and that's fine but really deep down it's just being there and i think that's the thing when it comes to relationships whether it's fathers with their kids fathers in the family whether it's relationships you know from the guy's perspective the number one thing is just be there you know watching the firm the other night with uh tom Cruise. you know there's a scene in there where he's working all these hours comes home really late and he wants to give his wife, everything, all the stuff. And she's like, I never asked for it. I just wanted us to be us. And I think that's something that we miss out on is that from a guy's perspective, the other people, person, whoever it is, just wants us to be there. And it comes down simply as that. And then the rest of the stuff is, is, you know, periphery and gravy on top of it, but just be there is what it comes down to. It seems like.
1: Yeah. And, and I think this touches on uh, what I had mentioned regarding music earlier is that there's two things that are happening. On, on one side, men and women, young men, young women are being told or shown that this is how you should act because the guys or the girls or whoever the other one is, this is what they want from you. And instead of asking, instead of asking, hey, what do you value? What means a lot to you? And I think I was—I was recently. I'm working on a project with a with a relationship therapist uh, based in Portland, and so we're walking around and interviewing people on the street. We have no idea who these people are. We're just walking up to them. Hey, can you answer some questions for us? Ask some questions. So we saw some young girls. I would say high school, maybe early 20s, um, and we asked them what What do you look for in someone that you might be interested in? Someone that you might want to date? And they had the hardest time answering. They, I mean, they laughed and they giggled and they were, I mean, they were so uncomfortable with such a simple question on what do you value? It was personal. It's a personal question. What do you value? And finally, one of the three girls was able to answer the question, even though she was terrified to answer the question. And she said, I'd really like someone who, you know, would come over to my house on a Saturday and we could make cookies and hang out. Okay. Well, that's what That's what she wanted to do with someone, but they were, they were laughing and they were uncomfortable because that's not what they're being told that they should be. This girl's genuine. All she wants to do is make some cookies and hang out with a boy. Like that's not a big deal, but she was so embarrassed to say that because that's not what's being, what's being forced on her. So we asked for that really enlightening. We walk down the road a little bit and come to, there's like some young guys. I would say, I mean, definitely early twenties, 21, 22, 23, something like that. They're throwing around a football well, the relationship that I'm, therapist that I'm working with, she's got two two boys in high school. So the way that she gets their attention is she runs over and she, she intercepts the football and walks up to them and says, hey, let me ask you a few questions. And by that time, they, she had their attention. So they asked her, you know, they answered her questions. And she asked the same thing. What do you value in a relationship? What do you look for in, you know, in a girl? And they had a really hard time answering too. And one of the guys eventually said, well, This guy has money, so he's going to get all the girls because he has money. But I don't have money, so it's going to be harder for me to get a girl because girls just want a guy with money. And I thought that was so profound. Here's a group of girls over here and a group of boys over here about the same age, and they're totally on different pages. They're totally on different pages. They have no idea what they value, and they have no idea what the other sex values or or what they want in someone the boys think that the girls just want someone with money and i mean they're, they're totally off base so no wonder why we have so many so many problems in in society right now
0: well it's like the saying goes you're from venus i'm from mars neither of us are on planet earth and so everything just gets you know blown up you know you mentioned you mentioned change that you like to t- you like to do change if you i mean take action you know when you want you want to take action um you're not one to sit on the sidelines. And so with all this stuff going on, you have political aspirations coming up here in, in, in 2022. First off, maybe before we delve into it, uh, maybe you can kind of just, cause I don't want to misrepresent. Um, you can kind of give us maybe a little bit of background into where it is, what it is, and, um, kind of the, the, the logistics of the area that you would like to represent.
1: Yeah, so I—I I mean, I think 2024 a lot of us threw threw us for a, a loop. Um, honestly, I, I never had aspirations to to run for office. I have—I've had—I uh, have held public office twice. Once as a cable television commissioner with the city of Los Alamitos here in Orange County, and then also as a board member with the Studio City Neighborhood Council up, you know, about five miles north of, of Hollywood. Um, I love that. I love getting involved. I, I love local, uh, you know, what's going on at a local level. Who's who's responsible for things? Who's making things better? Who's making things worse? Um, I really love that. Uh, my education my education really supports <laughs> what I'm going to get into. Uh, my undergrad, you know, I studied political science and history. I love that. I, I mean, I can remember sitting, sitting in undergrad classes and listening to to, to stories about you know communists and socialists and Marxists. And of course you don't want that, duh. And one of the fascinating things about today is that people are wanting that. And so I think, I think that's fascinating, but it was never anything that I wanted to get into. I love business, I love nonprofits, I love production, I love creativity. Um, so one thing led to another, and a few years down the road, I found a nonprofit program, a master's program at Cal State Northridge, CSUN, and so I joined the program and it's a master's in public administration. And then the track that I was a part of was nonprofit management. Well, I wanted to get more into nonprofit, non, you know, profit management. So I joined that as a two year program and I learned a ton. Um, I also had the opportunity to study modern political thought at Oxford University in England. Again, I'm fascinating. I'm fascinated with the subject. And so I am really the result. I'm the sum of all my experiences, all my education. Where, you know, I, I, I have a my my family has a small business. We grew up, you know, with our business in South Central Los Angeles, right in the middle of the Bloods, the Crips, and two Mexican gangs. It was a very violent neighborhood. Um, shot at Molotov cocktails when when I was 12 years old. I distinctly remember that. That that left an impression on me. I was I was attacked. I was mugged. a bank before and so my ability to defend myself as a woman is very important to me. I I love nonprofits. I I founded a nonprofit in 2012, the recording studio that we that we talked about earlier and I found that there was a huge gap in nonprofit resources which is why I started writing nonprofit books and creating nonprofit resources because I mean honestly no one else is. Um, And so I'm, I'm involved in, in all these different worlds, women in the commercial sex industry. I have my hands, you know, I'm, a lot of plates are, are spinning. And in 2020, gosh, I just saw, I saw a lot of things. I saw a lot of things. I saw a lot of things like, like we all did. And again, my favorite way to complain is by taking action. And so in 2022, I plan on taking action. Um, so I'm going to be running for U.S. Congress in California's 47th district. It's currently the 47th district. There's some redistricting going on as they do every 10 years with with the census, particularly because so many people have left the state of California. California even just lost a congressional district because so many people have left California. And again, going back to my conversations with those young men and young girls and the music industry, there are some vital questions that are not being asked. The answer is in there. And I think that on the political front that I'm ready to start asking those questions.
0: Now, it sounds like your experience is somewhat similar to mine when it comes to the fact that education opens doors. Mm -hmm. You know, you said you're the sum of the things that you have done, including your education. You know, you mentioned a lot of the education things that you've studied, whether it be history, political science, whatever it is, even going You know, overseas and visiting some of these places are all based on a historical, political type of idea sometimes. And so that kind of shapes and molds you. Me, you know, I've always been a proponent of education because education can open doors that we won't even think of down the road. You know, I wanted to get into radio when I was young and I was fortunate to be able to do that. But it was always in the back of my mind people telling me, hey, you should get a degree, you should get an education because it's going to open doors, it's going to be important for you. And then I got a master's degree and then another one. And then those doors started to open. And, mm-hmm. and things that I never would have thought of, jobs, teaching at the college level. It was never on my mind when I was younger. But yet I got the degree It Open Doors. It makes us well-rounded. We learn. And so education is a gateway to a lot of positive things. But it's also, nowadays, like you mentioned, education can be a negative. It's almost Mm -hmm. like an assault on kids again Mm -hmm. through the academics with brainwashing and things that, depending on which side. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you sit. You know, people want a certain thing in education because we want certain type of people to be indoctrinated with our agenda. And then the same thing over here. And, you know, where's the the education? You know, there's no education going on anymore, at least in my opinion. So I would imagine that education is important to you. And so as someone that has these political aspirations, you get there. You want to affect change. Like education, is that something that would be kind of maybe tops on a, on, a, on, a, on an agenda list, I guess, uh, for, sure. for you?
1: For sure. Education, education in whatever form, in my opinion, is never a waste. And, I mean, I, I say this. My dad is a junior college dropout. He hated school. He barely graduated high school. Yet our family's business, we have a manufacturing company. Most of the machines that we use to this day – are homemade. I mean, this. I I grew up with junkyard wars. There's there's machines with car parts on them because it's gonna go faster and stronger. And um, this is this is from a guy who has who has a high school diploma. Now, in today's standards, that might think, oh that oh that guy, he's uneducated. But he never let school get in the way of his education. He's self-taught. There's something in the fabric of Hibbards that. We're going to consume and we're going to find the answer to whatever we want to do. If there's a problem, we're going to figure out how to solve that problem. I don't know how to describe it better than that, but it's in our blood. It's in our DNA. My grandfather, my dad's dad, never even attended high school. Zero. Never went. Didn't go. He was born and raised in Wisconsin, and they grew up in abject poverty. I mean, you know, holes in the roof uh, so that when it snowed, he would wake up and, there, and there's snow. On the bed um, if, if there was roadkill they would bring the roadkill home to, to cook that this is this is a guy who you know when he was 14 he left home and he he called it he said he was he, he rode the rails and he stayed in hobo camps I was like grandpa you were homeless and he and he said something that stood out to me he said only on the outside it's like homeless only on the outside because in his mind he was on a great adventure and he spent most of his time in those hobo camps reading. He would read Chaucer or Dickens or histories or uh, engineering books. He he was self-taught. After uh, World War II where he, he, he served in the Marines, he came to LA and he went to USC's business school and he said that he'd like to take a few business classes because he wanted to start a business. He said, okay, uh, c- you know, can we have your high school transcripts? And he said, oh, I didn't go to high school. And they said, well, we need high school transcripts in order for you to go to college. Your your eighth grade education just isn't gonna do it. And he said, Well, don't you have some sort of entrance exam to you know to to see if I'm I'm smart enough? And turns out he was smarter than he looked. And he was enrolled in USC's business school and took night classes. And of course, in true Hubert fashion he dropped out before he graduated because the only goal of him going to USC Business School was to get an to, to to learn something, to get an education on what he wanted, what he wanted to know about business. He had no value. He did not care about a piece of paper with his name on it, it with you know embossed gold gold lettering. He didn't he didn't care at all. My grandfather went on to start a business in nineteen forty nine, and over seventy years later, we're still running that business. So. This guy who didn't attend high school and dropped out of USC's business school, started a business that have, you know, has left an, an, an impact in, in my generation and my family. And going on even further back than that, my great-grandfather was originally from Norway, and he was a self-taught engineer. He read books on engineering. And he wrote about his memoirs that we still have to this day. And he used to work with a guy, you might recognize these names, these two gentlemen, Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. Now, my great-grandfather was a self-taught engineer. And so in a lot of people's minds, you might think, mm, didn't cut it, not a smart guy. Well, what is he doing working with Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison? So there's a, there's a pattern in my family that never let, you know, kind of never let school get in the way of, of your education. And so I mean I have more formal education than anyone else you know in in my family for generations. And I combine that with the education that that I've received traveling to all seven continents. Um gosh, I've learned so much when I'm when I'm standing in certain places. I can remember being in Flanders fields and recalling being in 8th grade and having to memorize a poem in Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, I had to memorize a poem in eighth grade that I thought, ugh, do I have to do this? This is horrible. And then there I was in my 20s, standing in the place that that had happened, and this poem just comes out of me. Like, there's there's no way to describe the impact that it that had on me. So everywhere that I've gone, every place that I've traveled, I have my eyes wide open. People are wonderful. They are kind. They are caring. They are helpful. I can remember passing out in... um It was Cambodia. I fell on the ground, (laughs) fell on the ground in the street on a dirt, uh, on a dirt floor. It was too hot or something. And this, this lady came over and she was doing something under my armpit. And it was, it was sending like impulses down my arm and it ended up waking, waking me up. And I came to, and it was this, it was this lady, this Cambodian lady. And she had the most beautiful smile I'd ever seen. I'm just looking up at her and she's smiling at me because she was so happy to help me that lady didn't have any teeth and i remember in that moment thinking this is the most beautiful smile i've ever seen this lady helped a total a total stranger and so i have stories like that for everywhere everywhere that i've i've gone people people are wonderful most most guys just want to go to work and take care of their families most women just want to have a family maybe maybe work or pursue you know some dreams in in addition to that and so when i say i'm the sum of all my experiences and education i'm the sum of of all that
0: it also seems like, you know, your experiences can help because you're, you know, especially in Los Angeles area, you know, it's a melting pot. Many different people from many different places are coming here. Even though the census says people are leaving, there's still a, a big diversity of people that are still here from all over. So as someone who's going to represent a portion of Los Angeles, the melting pot, people with uh, from all over the world, those experiences, I can imagine, would help you to kind of relate, to understand, Mm -hmm. to know that there's different people and there's different cultures and there's different ways that people think, go about life, value systems, things like that. And I think it's all important... For someone to have that kind of background because it's almost like there's a disconnect with the people that have been in you know politics lifelong politicians there's a disconnect because they don't they haven't been there they haven't been with the people in a long time and so they lose out on that personal connection with the community with the, the diversity with the ethnicity and the heritage that comes along with the people they're representing
1: there is there's there's a huge there's a huge disconnect and going back there's questions that aren't that aren't, aren't being asked. Um, one of the benefits that I have is I was born and raised in East LA. My dad's from Compton. We're as local as, as local can be. I grew up with every ethnicity in the book. It was East LA on, you know, growing up the, the neighborhood kids, we all look different. No one really cared. It was just, do you have a bike? Do you have skates? Do you have a skateboard? Okay, we'll see you after school. That's all that really mattered. And so that will, um, gosh, like in a lot of ways I feel like my life is that slumdog millionaire story where, you know, that boy experiences so many different things. And then all of a sudden he's on a game show and he knows the right answers. And not to say that I know the right answers for all the problems that we're seeing, you know, here in in Southern California. But I think what I bring to the table is better. And, And better because I've had boots on the ground here for years. I work with nonprofits. I help good people get organizations up and running. And I see the difference between what a state or federal agency can do and what a lean nonprofit can do. And there, I see them as different tools, right? You know, Nonprofit is a different tool. Government is a different tool. Business is a different tool. And for me, they're interchangeable. I'm not gonna live and die on what tool needs to be used for, for every problem. You know, like like anyone who uses tools, they should be used interchangeably and depend if you need a wrench, if you need a screwdriver, whatever that is, swap out the tool. And so I bring that, and, you know, I think my experience in business and in, in a nonprofit, I have a, a proven track record. You know, I was just thinking, a lot of times, this is what I can't stand about politicians, they talk about the future. I'm going to do this. I'm going to solve this problem. Someday I'm going to make it better. And it's so unappealing to me because I – Without realizing it, I speak in the present and I speak in the past. There's a lot of problems that I had in the past with X, Y, and Z, and here's how I solved that problem. Okay, that's what I actually did. Uh, In the present, here's what I'm actually working on. Here's the projects that I'm actually working on. Here's the people that I'm actually working with. I'm doing that, I'm doing that now. And so even just in the mentality, my mentality versus a traditional politician is I don't think it could be any more different.
0: Well, I was going to say, just getting into politics and starting out, you've got to rely on who you are, the things that you've done. A lot of politicians like to, hey, look at my record. This is what I've done. You know, And you can take anything and – it's like, have you really done anything? You know, those things, you know, we look at immigration, we look at homelessness, we look at some of these problems that plague Southern California, um, and it's like, oh, we're going to do this for homeless, and it's like, well, we still got a big problem, you know, so what have you actually done? And so they try to use their political record, but it sounds like for you, you've really got something there that's of substance that you can go to the people and be like, you know, I am you, I know what you're going through, I, my family's experienced exactly what you're going through, you know, I know what it's about, I've got firsthand experience, in what it is that it's like to be in this community and to be a part of you, the people, mm-hmm. and go represent that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that with the political nature of today, mm-hmm. do you think you can really? And, and I'm not meaning you personally, but you know, it's the hierarchy of politics. It's the people. You know, it's the it's the squeaky wheel that's you know mouthing off or the the sound bites on the evening news. You know, these are the people that are getting all the headlines and stuff, and yet nothing's really getting done. But someone like you, can you really go in and affect change? Or is it going to take, you know, some getting those tools out and whack and some some things apart to be able to get in there and affect change? You know, what, what's your thoughts on that whole thing?
1: Mm-hmm. I think 2020 was helpful, if you could say that, in the sense that it disrupted our status quo. There's almost nothing normal anymore. Everything's kind of up in the air, Uh, you know, the the way we interact, the way we communicate, the way we work, the way we travel, uh, everything has has been touched. And for me, the way that I see that, I see it as a great opportunity. I see it as the waves parting and here is the opportunity of a lifetime to bring that change because everything's already been disrupted. I don't have to come in as a disruptor. I have to come into the, the political arena with solution. And I think I have what it takes to do that.
0: Now, as you go along, people can find you. You've got a a personal blog called emilyhibbard.com. And then you also got emilyserves.com, which is your campaign website. Um, and so people can find more information about you. Probably what at emilyserves.com dot com campaign wise, and then more about you personally, emilyhibbard dot com or your personal mm-hmm. blog. Um, as you go out there and you start meeting people, um, is if you know that it's hard. Like we're having an hour conversation, and so it's hard for people to kind of remember the whole conversation, but they might pick up bits and pieces. So as you go on this campaign journey, as you meet people, what's the one thing that? you would want them to remember or two things or whatever? What's like a main point that you really want to hammer home to the people in the community that you're going to be representing?
1: Oh, by far, I want you, I want your help. I want your perspective. I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican or, or anything else. So many things have happened in this past year that the lines are all, all blurred that, I, I mean, already I already have people that are Democrats, Republicans, libertarians, Green Party. They're already volunteering on my campaign because again, those political lines they're they're not as you know the, the traditional political lines they're not there anymore so much, or maybe one party thinks their party went too far this way or too far that way. And so that's one of the things that I'm excited to be a part of is bringing people in. Again, I don't care what political party you are. let's all let's throw our ideas on the table and let the best idea win. And I want people to associate me with that. If you have the best idea, let's hammer it out. Let's work out a solution and let's go with that.
0: So again, if you want to find out more, Emily Hibbard, dot com for her personal blog. And then there's a lot of information there that you can read. And then her campaign site is EmilyServes.com And you can find out more information there. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on, being a part of the show for the hour and just talking with the people and, and sharing insights into your life. And it's a fascinating story. And so I appreciate you uh, taking your time and coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And if you don't mind, Son, I'd like to ask, add one more thing. Um, as I'm running for Congress, we're also producing a documentary on how to run for Congress. And it's going to explain how anybody can run for Congress. And the documentary is going to feature a dynamic 13-year-old young man who is obsessed with american government and politics and so we're going to follow him and his curiosities he wants to run for congress he's about 13 years too young but he wants to learn everything that he can now so if anyone would like to learn more about that documentary please feel free and reach out
0: and for uh those of you listening or watching, you uh, know that we're on uh, radiowarp.com live Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. Pacific time. So you can hear the shows live there. We're also on at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific time on radiowarp.com, W A R P. Instagram, you can find me on uh, two sites. The show site is TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. And then also there is my personal site, Eden Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. Uh, you can DM me there on anyone if you would like to reach out to the show. There's links in the bio. You can click those links, and they'll take you to our YouTube page. You can watch the videos. Um, it can take you to... Uh, or SoundCloud. So if you subscribe to YouTube and SoundCloud, you won't miss out on the show. You get the notification. If you would like to just listen to the audio, there's uh, links available on every pla- uh, podcast platform, but Spotify, Pandora, I think Apple Podcasts, there's some links there. So it's really a place that you can go and kind of find us uh, on Instagram and then radiowarp.com as well as a re- website that's coming. Uh, any final thoughts here? We got just like a minute or so left. Anything else that you'd like to just kind of share or put out there before we uh, wrap it up?
1: Oh, sure. I don't know. I, I, I think all things are possible. So if anyone's feeling discouraged or, or without hope, there, there is light at, at the end of the tunnel. So don't, don't give up.
0: Again, Emily, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And again, you can find out more at emilyhibbard.com, H-I-B-A-R-D, and then also emilyserves.com, which is the campaign site. So again, take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great, be kind. And until next time, this is Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Head podcast highlighting the stuff that's been stepped in so you don't have to.